NFR Extra follows all your favorite cowboys, interviews legends of rodeo, and talks to the best of country music. Follow Nevada Caldwell, Ryland Bentley, and Steve Godert every week as they delve deep into the stories behind the road to gold in Vegas at the National Finals Rodeo. It's revealing, comedic, and sometimes emotional. Find it on Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts. NFR Extra, all dirt, all rodeo, all year. Got to beat for this world title. Uh-oh. Crossed over one time on top right there, but so far looks, looks good. Look at him open up going across here. Tim O'Connell, man, oh, man, he looked strong. Yeah, he did. Good ride for him. This horse had a good trip, too. This is the same one that Tilden's won money on here already this year. And I thought Tim, he was going at him pretty good right here. He's bringing his feet all over the rigging handles. What you want. Made him look really good. Good oh boy, for Tim. Good, good extension with his feet. Clear to his rigging. Fires him back to the front end. I mean, that was impressive. He's boy. not going to go down without a fight. In life, you know, my family comes first. My son comes first. My wife comes first. My faith comes first. Rodeo's on that. Rodeo is what I do. It's not who I am. But uh, I'm very blessed to be the three-time world champion. Our spot. I don't take that for granted for one minute. So don't think it. This is NFR Extra, episode number 52, and today we sit down with three-time world champion bareback rider Tim O'Connell for our Rodeo's Life segment. Tim was the first bareback rider from the state of Iowa to qualify for the Wrangler NFR in over three decades when he made his first appearance in 2014, just one year after winning PRCA Resist All Bareback Riding Rookie of the Year. From 2016 to 2018, Tim O'Connell entered the Thomas Mack Center in first place and left with a gold buckle each time and joined the likes of Jim Shoulders, winning three bareback titles back to back to back. On this episode, we dive into Tim's championship mindset, wrestling to rodeo, his love for competing, athletes in the industry, and much, much more. Each year at Cowboy Christmas, more than a quarter million country western shoppers mingle with NFR contestants, Flint Rasmussen, and the best junior cowboys and cowgirls in the world. There's no place in sports where your rodeo heroes find time to meet and greet their fans 9 to 5 every day. Cowboy Christmas. It's shopping, live music, rodeo, and so much more. Book your reservations and find out more at NFRExperience.com. Cowboy Christmas. It's all here. Wherever you listen to the NFR Extra podcast, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, or even YouTube, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. And let us know what you think of this episode or any episode by leaving a comment. Hi, I'm world champion bull rider Sage Kimsey, and you're listening to NFR Extra. Welcome to NFR Extra, three-time world champion Tim O'Connell. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thank you. Your schedule's going to start heating up here, you know, we're... We're in the middle of quarantine time, and um, but I do know that rodeos are are happening again. And where are you you're heading out? You're getting ready to head out. Where are you heading to? We are. Uh, we're going to go to Woodward, Oklahoma, and Coleman, Texas, this weekend. That's 
about the only two going on and everybody and their sisters entered it too. So it's going to be a good competition. So watch on Cowboy Channel, they're talking about that. Uh, best stock, best athletes. You're going to get that now, right? I mean, this whole, you got to get what rodeo you can. So as you do see that happen a little bit more here is, I mean, I'm not asking you to predict this virus and stuff like this, but I'd imagine that you see a lot more of the rodeos getting compact with, with stellar uh, competition like yourself. It's tough. I mean, uh, like Coleman, let's put Coleman for, or let's just go with the first one out of the gate. Uh, I didn't end up going to it, but Crave Creek, Cave Creek, Arizona last year had seven total bareback riders in the entire rodeo. This year they turned 14 bareback riders away because they had too many. And eight of the guys were at the NFR last year. There's, there's just nowhere else for us to play, you know, or make a living for our family. So yeah, these, these rodeos, if they're going to go on, they're going to get the highest quality guys and the most entries they've ever seen. I mean, there's, it's a double-edged sword, right? I mean, it sucks that we got to go through this, but at the same time, it's just the, you're getting this kind of thing that I think a lot of these rodeos wanted, right? They got just nothing but the premium uh, athletes showing up on the rodeos. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for, I guess. <laughs> uh, but you know what? That just is what it is. You know, this whole COVID thing is just weird. I don't know. I don't know how everyone feels on it anymore after three months of being locked up on it. But you know, the fact of the matter is it is what it is and life's got to move on, you know? So if they're going to open these rodeos up and they need to, you know, they're just going to be prepared to have, be overwhelmed with entries, and, but they're going to get, you know, the best guys there. Like you said, it's going to be one of the best shows for quality of contestants that they're ever going to see because, we don't have anywhere else to go. And this is how a majority of us make a living to feed our families. So whether they got, you know, like Coleman, Texas this weekend has 3000 added and they have 58 bareback riders. I don't know if there's even 70 bareback riders in the entire world. So it just goes to show what everyone, everyone's ready, ready to rumble. Either way, man, good luck, you know, obviously be healthy on that. And let's, uh, let's, let's get to know Tim. Where were you born? Where were you raised? Where, where's, where does Tim come from? I, uh, come from Zwingle, Iowa. You know, I was at, it's right around Dubuque, Iowa, the, the far Eastern side of Iowa where Illinois, Wisconsin and Iowa all meet up. There's a little sector there. Uh, I live about 10 miles south of that sector in a town of a hundred people. You know, we have, we have a stop sign. That's what we got. So you know, I, I grew up on the outskirts of, you know, an 80,000-person town about 10 miles away in, you know, rural Iowa. So, as a young man, what other, did you compete in other sports while you were in Iowa? Uh, I did. Um, I mainly wrestled is what my other sport was. Uh, that was really my my go-to sport was wrestling. But I ran track. I uh, For being short, I actually broke all of our school records in hurdling. Wow. And then... Uh, and I was about to, and then I was a sophomore and then I realized, you know, that was a key time to, to start making some money to uh, pay entry fees for my summer rodeo run. So my junior year and, you know, high school rodeo lined up right with state track too. So, and I was always going to pick rodeo over running. So I, uh, I ended up not, not competing in track my junior or senior year and, uh, just focused on working and getting money to, to get ready for rodeo. So I could, I wrestled mainly in the in the fall and the winter, and then I rodeoed in the spring and the summer. So how how did you come? I'll come back to wrestling, but how did you? Where did rodeo start about for you? I mean, like, how do you kind of remember what age it was and where you started getting to where you, you really like doing this? Uh, my dad was a pickup man for 
ever, you know, like 30 years or something. He picked up for surveys. He picked up mainly when I was growing up, he was picking up for three hills. And my, like my dad was an alternate for the NFRS pickup man, you know, like he, uh, he was legit. And, uh, so instead of, you know, going and doing what, I don't know what normal people do on the weekends. Like we, we gathered up and we went to where my dad was rodeoing that weekend. And we, that's just what we did pretty much every weekend as growing up. So I knew from a real young, small age that this is what I was going to do. It'd be like, I compare it to like, you know, like if your dad's a doctor, you want to hang out with your dad and your dad's taking you to the office every week, you're probably going to follow in the footsteps of what your dad is doing. This, the side effect of it was I didn't follow in the footsteps of uh, picking up. I followed the lines of riding bareback horses. You know, there's a couple of uh, contestants, athletes in the rodeo business we've talked to that that exposure, right, like gives you so much more to the love of it because clearly if your dad's hanging around the surveys and things like that, Timmy, I mean, you're hanging around some premium contestants, right? I mean, you're, you're getting to kind of mm-hmm. not just see some, some slack. You're, you're seeing some real deal stuff. How, who, is there any, any contestants that you were gravitating that you were like, man, they inspire you or kind of something that you would latched onto where you wanted to be? You know, obviously like Ty Murray was kind of, was just dominating the era when I was growing up as a young kid. And, uh, I truthfully, I thought I was going to be a bull rider for forever. Like, that's what I wanted to do. Like there was no doubt in my mind that I wanted to be a bull rider when I was a young, young kid and growing up and even getting in high school, uh, that's what I wanted to do was ride bulls. And I was pretty decent at it. Kind of, I would say like in where our region was, like I had one second in our state three years and then finally won our state my senior year. But, you know, entering my freshman year, like I thought I could be Ty Murray at 110 pounds. And uh, that just didn't fly very well. And I tried getting on barebacks and saddle brown courses, and I got on six six horses and three rodeos and only two bulls because I would be so wrecked out <laughs> by, the, by the end of the rodeo. I couldn't even do my best event. So I ended up quitting bareback riding and saddle brown riding and just focused on getting on bulls for three years. And uh, I'm not sure why or how, but, like, my senior year, I'm at the Three Hills Buckout, and, you know, Tanner Oss was there, and that, he's a good friend of mine, and uh, <clears throat> he, I was like, hey, man, I know you're left-handed, and I'm left-handed, and I, I'd like to try it riding, back, riding some barebacks, if you don't mind, and he goes, yeah, I got an extra rigging and stuff, so he gave me gave me this rigging to borrow for the day, and the rest is history after that, so... <laughs> I fell back in love with riding barebacks and I got into a really bad wreck at the high school finals in the bull ride. And, and then just made a slow switch of kind of stop riding bulls and moving to bareback riding full time and being my only event by the, you know, the spring semester of my college career. No, then we, this is a lot of folks that we've talked to and this happens <clears throat> in saddle and bareback. We this conversation, not so much bull, but definitely saddle and bareback wrestling has played a big kind of a big upbringing for a lot of the contestants uh, in pro rodeo that we've discovered. How did wrestling, right. And definitely be in the Midwest, man. I mean, that's a, that's a, you know, here on the West coast wrestling's kind of important, but I know in the Midwest and definitely we're talking about Iowa, there's a lot of tradition and yeah. history drafted into that. How did that help you, you know, kind of the, the, cause it's just you, right. You're the wrestler and you got your competitor on the other side. How did it help you transfer into rodeo? 
Um, was there kind of some correlations there from the mindset or the preparation that came from wrestling? I, I think they they run so similar in that aspect. You know, wrestling, it's only, like you said, it's only you and the guy standing across for you. It's a kill or be killed. Like, we're going to sit here and we're going to bang heads and we're going to beat each other up and we're going to try to enforce your will on another human being for as long as it takes you to either pin them and get them out or if we're going to go the whole the whole six minutes, it's you or me and kind of that kill or be killed attitude, you know, especially like, and I'm not saying that I was the best, but it's definitely one of the best states when it comes to wrestling because everybody's got that. They got that. If you're, if you're going to wrestle, you've had usually some generations that have wrestled before you and it, they take it so serious up there when it comes to, to anything from AAU to the, to the, you know, junior high to high school wrestling to college, you know, if you're, if you're a part of that, you know, like it's, it's in your blood, like what wakes you up and what drives you in the morning to get to be better and, you know, be the, be the best of, of inflicting your will and your power onto another human being and get them to do what you want to do through that. And it takes a lot of hard work and determination and, you know, the cutting weight part, you know, it teaches you so many life lessons and you don't even have to be good at wrestling and it's going to teach you some serious life lessons from what your mind can tell your body to do. And you're, you know, when your body wants to give up, you can overrun your mind and your body and say like, we're going to do this, like whether you like it or not, you know, and it's the same thing with riding a bucking horse, you know, it's only you and an animal and like, you can have your coaches, you can have everyone telling you what to do, how to do it. But when it comes down to it, when that gate opens, it's you and an animal and you're trying to help that animal and inflict, you know, I would say like, your style, you're helping, you know, with, with your spurs, you're trying to help that animal be better every jump than what it was the, the day, the jump before. And you're, you know, you're using your style to create this moving picture for everyone to watch. And it, things can go bad for you very like within a blink of an eye. And it's, but it's only, <clears throat> I've always thought, you know, when, from the time they run in to the time they run out, it's all, it's your fault if it goes wrong and it's your responsibility to make it go right. And it's the same thing in the wrestling match. You know, if, uh, if you lose, it's your own fault. You know, you didn't, you didn't do your game plan. You didn't execute the way you needed to. And it's the same on a, on a, on a bareback horse. And you know, they're both tough. And you know, like it's, it's very hard to learn how to ride bucking horses because it's so physical. It's so hard on the body to learn. And it's still hard on the body today, even doing things right. But, and it's the same with wrestling, you know, when you're cutting a lot of weight and you're having to be, you know, active and moving and running and sprinting and, and making another person do what you want them to do through, you know, physical touch, you know, it's draining on your body. And, you know, I think when you learn how to, to conquer your mind, to tell your body, like, this is, this is how things are going to go, whether you like it or not. And it, it correlated right into, into bareback riding for me. You know, they just match up. There's so many characteristics that are the same in bareback riding and wrestling. Let me that, add, that's why. Tim, let me add to that because I think this just kind of something dawned on me about the strategy of things. But, and I'm assuming that when kind of the tactician that you are, 
just like when you go to a wrestler or whatever stock you're going to ride, you know, because you've studied their moves, what they're going to do, their tendencies, right? Kind of, there's a lot of that as well. Do you approach, did you, do you have that approach to when you, uh, similar wrestlings as you would with uh, riding stock? Absolutely. Um, you know, not so much during the regular season. Um, when we were, when we would go to tournaments and, and duels and stuff, for the most part, we wrestle people in our conference. And when you wrestle people in your conference, like you, you see them so, so often that you don't really have to do film work on an under wrestler. But when we got into, you know, the, the tournaments that got you into the state tournament and the state tournament, you know, you find them guys in your lineup and we would send, we would send scouts to their tournament and to film the finals matches to where we can see what they like to do, what kind of shots they're doing, what setups they're doing. So by the time we got to them, um, we understood their offense. So we could either inflict our offense before they could get their offense going and see what kind of defense they'd like to go to. Or if they got their offense going before we did, we knew the defense to put ourselves back on the offense and kind of get the game plan going when it, and it translates over to into bucking horses. Cause I do, I study them horses and, uh, quite, quite a bit. I, I would, I take great pride in knowing pretty much all the horses out there. And if I don't know them, I'm not afraid to call someone and ask them about them either. Um, and I can watch a horse bug and kind of move, move myself on the back of that animal after watching a side view of the horse bug and kind of know how that's going to feel. And, know what kind of spur ride I'm going to need to put on that animal to make that animal the best they can be that day. And the best I can be that day. Man, that's cool. I love this stuff. Like this is the kind of part that, you know, that, that I love rodeo, right? I'm not, I'm definitely not a cowboy. And I'm going to confess to you one, but I'm a fan of athletes and sports. And I think the deeper you dive into guys' minds like yours, you find out that there's so much more to rodeo. I, the, the more we get to expose it, I think it just it does great for guys like you, Tim, that <clears throat> just have this mindset of, well, hell, your championships kind of speak for itself. So, but there, that this doesn't happen on accident, right? Like there's a, there's a, there's a, there's well, a method it, to your madness. There's just a new generation that has come about like the, uh, you know, the old idea of a cowboy that we show up to your town and, you know, people are smoking behind the bucket shoes and drinking all night and partying all night and then going to the next one. Those days are done. You know, like, I would say there's less cowboys and more athletes in rodeo now. You know, this is a, this is an everyday thing for me. When, when I'm at the house, I'm do, I got my personal trainer sending me workouts right now because we can't go to the gym, but it's gym work every day. It's fundamental practices, um, three days a week, like, this is for me, like, this is how I feed my family. Like this isn't a hobby for me at all. And so many guys, there's so much money out there now for us. Like it's, you know, it's a, it's the best it's ever been and it's only getting better. So guys are taking this serious. And I think, you know, like I hate to pick us out, but like the bareback riders made a point and it's, it's pretty easily seen at the NFR that, you know, like, we are the real, real athletes in rodeo to the extent. And, and I mean this not saying that there's not other athletes out there, but from our, our number one to our number 15 is so close and compete at such a high level 
for the physical abuse that we have to go through for 10 days that, you know, it just stands out and what it takes to win one of our rounds or to even place for that matter. You know, I remember going to my first finals in 2014 and I split around with an 84 and an 84 at the NFR anymore is going to finish you like 10th. Mm. You know, it took, there was nine 90 point winning round wins last year. Um, they, and the other, the one round we didn't win with a 90 was an 89 and a half. And there was two of them, you know, I, I t- took second in the 10th round with a 91 and a half, you know, like it just goes to show that there's everyone is so serious about the athletic side of this, that it's upped our game as bareback riders. It's just a whole new generation. You know, I don't think the, uh, the old way of doing it will, will make a living anymore. you can't just, you can't not be an athlete and think that you can make a six figure living for yourself riding bareback courses anymore. Well, that sets up this next question, Tim, which is fantastic. Uh, how, how did you feel when you first got sponsored and who was it and how old were you? Uh, my first like big sponsor outside of like the little bar that sponsored me in our town <laughs> was a uh, cowboy up clothing and they sponsored me my rookie year. And it was a big deal for me, you know, like someone, someone to back me. And, you know, they said they, they seen me, you know, going in to my first NFR and, you know, they really, they believed in me. And I take that back. My first sponsorship, actually, my first real one was three Hills rodeo. You know, they, uh, the ones that started me in bareback riding and what they did on my rookie year, they, uh, they paid for all my entry fees at every rodeo I entered, you know, which is huge. That's like 15 grand a year for a kid just starting out. So all I had to worry about was, you know, making, making the NFR, you know, I didn't have to worry about how am I going to pay my fees at this next rodeo, but they believed in me so much from starting me to, you know, do that for me. And then like, you know, I, I had done well for myself my rookie year and we just decided, you know, like they're going to probably do that for somebody else on years to go, but they really kickstarted my career. And then, you know, my first non, and I consider like three Hills rodeo, like David Marlon Moorhead are like second parents to me. Mm. You know, like I said, my dad was a pickup man for them the last 15 years of his career. So it was nothing for me to go spend two or three months at the three Hills ranch in the summer and work for David Marla and the whole family every day. And then we would just load up on the weekends and go put on a rodeo and then come back to the ranch and then work for three or four days, getting livestock ready to go again and head out again. So like that was, I, I consider them more family than I do like a sponsor per se, where like, you know, my first, you know, like no family ties, no nothing was cowboy up clothing. And they, I would say they gambled on me and then I feel like it paid off for them in the end. But to have someone believe in you, to, to want you to wear, their logo and their brand because of how you perform and how you, and your actions outside of the arena, you know, and how you carry yourself in front of others, you know, that's a big deal. Well, the brand representation, right? Like there's so much of a correlation and, you know, it's for someone like me as sports, I grew up in a time, I think you and I are a little different ages. um, You know, I grew up in a time when Bo Jackson was blowing up, Michael Jordan, and coming into the nineties when mm-hmm. just that stuff had so much to it. And now personally just being involved in marketing, being part of the NFR, 
I'm to me, I'm seeing that now in rodeo business. And I think you brought it up earlier where I kind of give you an example where when I think about the true cowboy now, like when I see JB Mooney, right. And I see him with, with uh, Dale Brisby on YouTube. And so I'm like, man, like he looks rare now, right? Like he's smoking cigarettes and rough living. And it's like, man, that's what yeah. the Cowboys used to be like. And that's hard to sponsor that. Not in a bad way. I'm not saying anything about JB, but yeah, I think these guys are looking for these, the, when you're looking to sell product, right? You, you got to find that, that person that can really represent that sponsorship. So I, I got a question with this. How, what are the challenges for you? Cause as I look, you know, when I, I know we do photo photo ops with you and I see you riding and things like that, you got a lot of logos on you. How, what are the challenges securing sponsorship? And obviously what you've, you've alluded to this, you got to pay bills for the family and the importance of how you go about doing this for you, uh, Tim O'Connell Inc. Basically. I mean, like what are the challenges with sponsorship with you? One thing that I, and I tell young kids this all the time, never take a, Never take a brand that you don't believe in. Um, all the sponsors you see on me are stuff I use every day. Like I believe in their product and they believe in me. Like I've turned sponsorships down because I just didn't like what they were selling. Like I couldn't properly promote them because I didn't like their product. And, you know, and they were throwing some money at me, you know, money's not everything, but the brand representation keeps, um, I'm going to use Justin boots for an example. Like I wear Justin boots pretty much every day and they make a shoe line now too. You know, they approached me, you know, it was, it was a good, uh, good endorsement, but I like their boots too. You know, like I like wearing Justin boots. I would wear Justin boots if they weren't a sponsorship of mine, you know, like in 12 gauge ranch, like I love 12 gauge ranch and motto, you know, like, we don't do like really any product, but like he wants kids back in the life of rodeo. They, he wants the idea of instead of growing up to be a pro football player, like he wants kids playing Cowboys and Indians. Like he wants, you know, the, uh, the idea of the cowboy to still live on in the generations to come. And like, I love these. And, and I have, I have something that I love for each one of my sponsors. I just pick those two off the, off the bat because they're, they're pretty different but i believe in what they're selling and i could sell what if i wasn't an endorser of theirs like i could be a salesman for them because i you know i love what they what they stand for and i want to represent that and they want me to represent them and that's what makes you know everything work if you don't believe in what you're what you're selling like it you know you're, you're gonna have pretty much half-ass it you know what i mean and it doesn't do them justice it doesn't do you justice and you're just kind of like you know, it feels like you're just getting over on someone at the end of the day. Like if it, if you don't believe, I guess that I said this already, but if you don't believe in what you're selling, then you can't sell it to the fullest extent. You can't be passionate about it. Let's hit the pause button and take a break with three-time world champion, Tim O'Connell. And when we return, we talk about falling in love and the science of riding a bucking horse. Do you need a dose of social, a dash of insider info? Then the National Finals Rodeo Social Network is set up just for you. Get updates, insights, unique content, and much more on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can find us at Las Vegas NFR. And be sure to use hashtag WranglerNFR on your post and tweets. There's something for all rodeo fans. This is the NFR. This is Vegas. 
to celebrate the 35th anniversary of the National Finals Rodeo in Las Vegas, LVE and PRCA present the top 35 most memorable moments. They say things come in threes. Bareback rider Tim O'Connell may agree with that. O'Connell has won three straight bareback riding world titles and three straight NFR average crowns. Along the way, O'Connell has made bank, winning more than a million dollars in that three-year run. 2016, world title number one, he won 347000 2017, world title number two, a bareback riding single-season earnings record of 371000 And in 2018, O'Connell won 318000 But round 10, last December, ended on a sour note. Disaster struck when O'Connell suffered a torn rotator cuff and labrum at the ride's end. The Iowa native was sidelined for six months to start 2019, and it was a tough road back. O'Connell returned in June and, against all odds, managed to not just qualify for the NFR, but end his shortened season in the top six. Look at him open up going across here. Tim O'Connell. O'Connell is heading to a sixth straight NFR this December and chasing a fourth straight world title. Howdy, I'm Bob Tolman, and this is NFR Extra. We are talking to bareback riding champ Tim O'Connell. He was a Wisconsin high school bull riding champion well before winning the coveted gold buckle at the Wrangler NFR. At what point in your young career, when did you know, like, I know you said like you were a kid, but it, when there's some reality that happens as you get older, when you said, no, this is paying the bills, when did that come? When did that kind of come to that fruition of like, man, this is going to be my career? You know, like when I'm pretty sure my rookie year, you know, like I finished my rookie year and I had won like almost $50,000 as a kid in college you know, going to school full time and, uh, paying my own way pretty much, you know, like that's a lot of money for a college kid. You know? yeah. And, uh, I was, before I had left college, like I paid off all my student loans. I had a, I had no bill, like I had no debt to my name leaving college. I had a truck and a camper paid off. I had no school bills. I didn't have a house at the time, but I was renting. That was my, that was my only bill. You know, and like, that's when I knew like, this was, this was it. Like I could, I could make a living for myself from this. And then, you know, then came my wife and like, and my riding was just getting started when I, when I was a rookie, I'd only been riding bareback horses for four years. I started riding, like truly riding bareback horses in 2010. And, you know, when I was a rookie in 2013, you know, three years, you know, I'm, I still feel like, you know, I'm a baby in my riding. Like I'm developing each and every day to this day. And I'm only 10 years into my career. You know, that's, that's huge. So like, I knew that I was going to keep working hard and I was only at the tip of the iceberg, you know, when that started. So I knew right away that I was passionate enough and I wasn't going to let myself not follow my dream. Who's your wife and how did you meet fall in love? Where did, where did this whole fire get going? Um, with your wife and what, what's her name, Tim? My wife's name is Sammy. Mm-hmm. And, 
we met, we met in college and she's actually a little bit older than me. Um, I transferred down to Missouri Valley college from Iowa central and she had just moved back to the, like she had graduated and she had moved back to the town. She started working at the college and, uh, yeah, we met, you know, she was kind of, she had her, she had her barrel horse down here. So, you know, like I would see her at the barn and we just, we just hit it off and we dated briefly. Um, and then we became friends, you know, for about a year. Like, and you, it's just such a rare occasion when you date someone that you could be friends with them after, you know, and we were, we were friends for about a year and then we started dating again. And about like, I just knew, like, it was just one of them things that when you know, when you know, you know, and I would say like, mm, six months later I proposed and within another six months we, we were married from that, you know, rodeo wedding season in October. So she, so, so yeah. I, I got a question just to, does she, I mean, how, how was she, was she introduced rodeo through you or was she already kind of a part of that lifestyle? She was already part of it. She had one second at the high school finals in the barrel racing. Oh wow. And you know, like we, it was crazy. You know, our story, we should have met, you know, 10 years before we ever actually did met, you know, like she was at the high school finals the same time I was, um, she was, she was circuit rodeo and at all these rodeos. And at the time, you know, my brother was hanging out with her traveling partner. And there, so there was just so many situations that we were at the same rodeo, you know, multiple times a year in the same performance. And we just never ended up meeting each other until we got, we came finally met at in Missouri Valley, you know, five years in the making, 10 years in the making. And we just hit it off right away. You know, she was, she was a very good barrel racer and she, uh, she just decided, you know, her good horse was starting to get old and we, uh, we got pregnant with our son and she just hasn't started back up yet. But, you know, we've talked a lot about it, you know, more than likely when, when my career comes to an end, you know, she's going to probably start back up. Oh, that's cool. Hey, and kind of, kind of, you know, continue on, you know, she still loves riding horses and running barrels and she's just as much of a competitor as I am. So you guys are raising it. Let's talk about the kid. How, how's that going right now? How's everything <laughs> going with that, Tim? I mean, how's that been, that experience? Oh, my God. It's the best ever, truly. You know, like, everyone says that, but, like, you just don't know until you have your own. <laughs> and it's been so much fun. The first two years of his life, you know, I've got to spend so much time at home. Last year, I had the shoulder surgery. I'm sitting at home for the first six months of the rodeo season. So I kind of joke about it with the whole COVID thing. Like I'm kind of used to this whole process, except not everybody else gets to go rodeo and get ahead of me this year. <laughs> so it's been so, it's been a, a blast truly. Like he's, he was turned two in March. Um, man, it's been, it's been so much fun. Like he's really like gravitating towards me now. So me and him hang out all the time. It's like he's my he's my best friend. You know, he's my right hand man. Like he's he's the coolest. So and you just don't like. There's so much stuff you miss when you're <laughs> rodeoing. And like guys that have families that are rodeoing understand what I'm talking about. Like this is gonna sound crazy, but like I got to experience my kid taking his first crap on the potty. <laughs> like <laughs> who, you know, the normal dad that gets to spend it, spend his time at home 
you know, seven days a week and never leaves his family. Doesn't think twice about that kind of stuff. But for the rodeo cowboy that spends 200 year, 200 days a year on the road, like you have to experience that stuff through, you know, FaceTime, you know, text messages, phone calls. Like after a while, that sucks. Like you, you want to, you want to be there. Like I found out we were pregnant through a FaceTime call, you know, cause I was going to be gone for two or three weeks and my wife didn't want to hold a secret in that. Like I would have loved to experience the the doctor's visit for that. You know, like we didn't even know, like it, we were trying and it wasn't working, you know, it wasn't a super long situation, but it was long enough that, you know, the rodeo season was starting and the chances of us getting pregnant over the summer were, you know, slim to none, you know, with how much we're gone. And, uh, it ended up, you know, it ended up happening right as I left for the 4th of July run. You know, so like I had to miss, you know, that doctor's put to find out, you know, you just miss so much and you don't understand it until you're gone that long. And I really appreciate, you know, COVID and give me another six months at the house with my kid. And then I'm going to, you know, things are going to go back. You know, things are going to start happening again. They're not happening as fast as everyone wants them to. But, you know, a great friend of mine said, if you ever get hurt or if, you know, we've never thought about this situation, but if he always said, if you ever got hurt and didn't come back better than what you were before, you wasted your time. Oh, hundred percent. And, and I believe that, I believe that to the fullest, you know, like when at this, like I'm, I'm, I have a hard time truthfully for me, like I'm such a competitor at this game and you know, my goals are so lit up in my head and I almost put blinders on and it's hard for me to shut that off at the house, you know, it's hard for me to, to come back into dad mode and husband mode when I come home from rodeoing and, and the competitor in me just wants to win all the time. Like I hate losing more than I like winning. And that's it. I believe that to the, to the fullest of my being. So it's so hard for me to shut off that competitor to come home to where like right now, like I'm in total dad mode, like domestication dad mode. And now I got to turn the competitor back on. Yeah, to get ready to go rolling. (laughs) You know, I want to add some of that. Michael Mack, you know, Michael, um, you know, we do these meetings, uh, on, on zoom and he brought this up probably about a month ago, you know, in the way we're working and we, I mean, Michael, I'm very similar. We, we love to work and you know, your, your schedules get busy. Obviously we're not traveling like you or out there competing like that, but you know, he brought this up and it was, it was so true, but this whole COVID thing has kind of allowed us all to like, Honestly, Tim, I mean, I've, for our family too, man, it was the first time we've done this in a long time because we're in sports and traveling all the time and mm-hmm. sitting yeah. at the dinner table, you know, like that. I, whew, I mean, I grew up like that, but we've never really, my family, Michael's family, you know, his, his family's in sports. We never really had too many opportunities to sit home at the dinner table. And now like we could talk about how funny that is and just how much you appreciate it to your point of like. You know, some people don't know how good they have it, you know, with what they, they enjoy their family. I, it's cool to hear you touch on that. And just, I think that the people that I yeah, work with, I and, really think know, that's awesome. I really think God break checks the world. Yeah. Like get off your phones, be with your families. I'm going to put the fear of God in all of you. off This unseen, undetectable disease. So start living right. Start, you know, like we, I do feel like the world has uh, forgot, you know, that family comes first, right? Like, you know, right behind God, God first family, you know, oh. like that's, 
And people forgot about that. I think they started putting cell phones in front of their family. And, but you know, that's just the modern time we live in. But, you know, I think, I think God really just said, Hey, here you go. Break check, wake up, True. don't waste your lives. Man, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more, Tim. You're hundred percent. Hey, let's talk about your, cause you're going back to, you're talking about it. So let, let's talk about this. You're, you know, what does a typical season schedule look for like for you and how, like, how do you target those rodeos? Uh, how does that clearly, I think you got a lot of mindset to this. So I'm just kind of curious of your response. Uh, how do you go about scheduling the rodeos? What you're going to do? Where are you going to do? How does that go for you typically? Minus COVID of course. So what I like to do is obviously I like going to the NFR in December. <laughs> so, <laughs> so December hit, we go to the NFR and, uh, from there, you have about a month, right? And then that, like the new season has already started, but if you make the NFR, like you're not, you're not going anywhere until the NFR. And, you know, the guys I travel with, they, you know, I do all the books. So I just tell them just to trust me and like, just take the time off, take three, three months off if you don't make the NFR and get your body right, get your mind right and get ready for a tough season again. And if you did make the NFR and we're traveling together, you got eight weeks to prepare yourself for the the toughest rodeo you're ever going to be at. Mm. So there's, there's two avenues there. When the season starts, we, we started in uh, Denver, the first big rodeo of the year. Um, and that's where we hit it off. I hit all the major winter rodeos and I try not to go anywhere else besides the major rodeos. Cause you know, there's such a big amount of money to be won there that you don't need to be running your tail off and be tired and showing up to the majors and not being rested and ready to rumble because you've been, you know, kind of running around. So that kind of starts that. And then we move into, you know, April and you're in the California run, you go out there, um, the four weeks and then, you know, May and June, we kind of hit our circuit rodeos up because circuit rodeos are important to, uh, to an extent because now they're, they're counting our circuit finals and they're counting the Ram national circuit finals. So you got to get them little rodeos in. And, uh, so that May and June are kind of those, those months to like, Hey, let's hit as many circuit rodeos as we can without being dumb about it. You know, like take a, take it. If you need to take May off because you're hurt or sore, take May off. But if not, we're going to kind of go to two or three a weekend, you know, easing around, staying in rodeo shape, and then once once Reno hits, it is game on from there on. You know, we're at that point you usually have three ten thousand dollar at a rodeos or more a week with a twenty thousand dollar at a rodeo in there somewhere. And we're going to the biggest rodeos that are in the book from from Reno on every week until the end of September. And you know, that's why I kinda pull the reins back on our crew. So then last 90 days, we are in an all out sprint and, and we're firing and we're not tired and we're not going to run out of rodeos to go to, cause we have a count. You can only count a hundred rodeos towards your world standing. So some guys don't do a very good job at rodeo count management to where they start running out and have to really dial back of what they can go to. And a lot of guys, you know, mess up and uh, they're out in the middle of September and they're on, you know, on the bubble. And then, you know, I've seen it where someone in my crew has been on that bubble too. And we enter him and 
15 extra rodeos than that guy that can't go to it and boom, leapfrog him right over. You're in the NFR. You know, so there's a strategic way to do it. I would say, I think everyone kind of knows how to do it, but for the most part, that's how I do it. So I got, okay, Tim, I got a question while you were talking about sponsorship earlier. Is there influence from your sponsorship side to, to go to certain rodeos as well? Is that something that you got to integrate into your schedule? No, no. Um, not really. I mean, I think they, I mean, obviously they want you to go to the big ones and I'm not going to not go to the biggest ones. You know, I consider myself, you know, in my mind, I consider, I enter every rodeo planning on winning every rodeo, you know? So there's no doubt in my mind that you don't go to the biggest rodeo every chance you can get and compete against the best guys in the world to do it and, and to win consistently. So if you're going to the biggest rodeos that are televised anyway, then, you know, your sponsors are going to be happy with you. Oh, that makes sense. Some, some, you know, some want you to go like for me, like there's someone there that have like bonuses, to, like win the American. Well, heck yeah, that's a sweet bonus, but I'm going to, I'm trying to go to the American anyway. Like they want you at Calgary, the American, you know, Houston, San Antonio, Pendleton, like, well, you're already going to be there anyway. If you're, if you're in the hunt for making the NFR, like there's no doubt that you're going to go to them rodeos anyway. So, has your obligations though changed a little bit? Because if, I mean, clearly Tim, you've become a, you know, multiple champion, uh, sponsorships probably come a lot better, a little smoother. Has your obligations changed at these certain rodeos as if you, have you've come along? Yeah. You know, like sometimes you got to show up a little bit earlier and go sign some autographs and you know, that's just, that's just part of it. That's part of the, part of the deal. So it doesn't happen too bad. You know, like, my sponsors are pretty great. Like they understand, they understand rodeo. They don't just understand like their business. They, they get that, you know, we are traveling and usually drive until three or four in the morning and then getting up again and, and knocking out. I mean, normally our rodeos are like 12 hours apart, 10 to 12 hours apart, you know, so you're, and the rodeos don't start till eight o'clock at night, usually in the summer. Cause you got to get the heat of the day down so we don't leave, we don't start traveling to the rodeos till, you know, nine thirty at night. Mm-hmm. So you're driving until three or four in the morning and heck, you got to sleep too. And then you get up and you try to get, you know, make it there an hour and a half before the rodeo starts. And then you got to get yourself ready. So like, they, they get it. Like there's a, there's a lot of, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Logistics yep. into getting from rodeo to rodeo. So they, they get it, you know, but some of them rodeos like Cheyenne where you're there a couple of days, you know, like you'll have a sponsor like, Hey, can you just come sign over at this booth for an hour? Um, we can just post it up and you know what? You're there. You got time. You go do it. Well, you've always helped us out, man. I mean, we appreciate it. We never want to stretch it thin, but I love that, you know, you're always willing to kind of do stuff with us. I mean, we're super thankful. Oh, for yeah. Say that. You know, in in like the NFR, the NFR is definitely the the toughest one. You know, like everybody, every sponsor that I, that is out there, they want you to come sign two, usually two, two times while you're out there. So like, you know, that's where that's where my wife really takes over at the NFR. You know, like there's there's certain things that I'll handle during the year, but when it comes to like NFR, like you know, I always do stuff with you guys because you guys are always doing stuff for kids, and I like if it involves children, you know, like. I'm in. I would much rather 
go spend a day with some children and bring a smile to their face than go sit and sign autographs for people walking around shopping. And I appreciate the people walking around shopping, but I love kids. (laughs) So people can kind of understand that, but you know, like, that's why I always love, you know, taking care of you guys because you guys are taking care of the kids in your community too. But, uh, you know, and then you take care of your sponsors at the NFR and, you know, like my wife, like we don't start a signing till a certain time. And like, we don't do a signing past a certain time at the NFR. And like my, my sponsors know that, like they know, like I'm there to take care of them, but I'm there to go to work. You know, Tim, I'm like, thinking about all the logos that, you have that on your shirt. That 6.45 start time is the most important time every night for 10 nights straight. Absolutely. But, you know, I'm thinking all the logos on your shirt, man. That's a lot of autograph sessions. <laughs> it is. It is. But you know what? We uh, She does a really – Sammy does a great job of uh, scheduling to where, like, you know, I'll just have to be at, you know, Cowboy Christmas one day. And I'll do, I'll be at, you know, the Sand, or it's not the Sands anymore, but, uh, you know, Mandalay Bay. Like, I'm not just running around Vegas trying to, like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to do some autograph sessions. She really does a great job. And my sponsors are so great, too. Like, that's another thing, you know, rounding back to it. Like, they understand me, and they would rather see me win than see me sign. Makes sense. You know, like, they get it. Like they, they understand the importance of this game to me and the importance of what a gold buckle means to me. And they would rather see me make like, like I'll, for an example, I got sick in 2017 and uh, I had like, I had, I hadn't even started my signings with, with Justin and like, I got really sick. Like I ended up in the ER uh, during the sixth round. Sixth, yeah. Sixth round of the NFR. I was in the ER getting fluids from, like 11 o'clock till almost 4:30 in the afternoon till I had to like get the needle out of my arm to go over to the rodeo and compete. And all my sponsors for the next three days said, just stay in bed, just rest. Like we, this is not that big of a deal compared to what you got going on. So just stay, stay in your hotel room and just get yourself ready to ride every night. Like, you know, like, that's the relationship you need to have with a sponsor. Like they believe in you and they want the best for you and you want the best for them. Like when you can make it work, you work it. And when you can't, like it's, it's reciprocated. Wow. That's good stuff, man. Hey, uh, let's, yeah. Like they didn't, they didn't bat an eye at saying like, Hey, you don't have like, you know, some, I know some sponsors was like, well, can you make it up when you're feeling better? Like they just said, Hey, we get it. We're just going to scratch you off the list. Uh, that makes sense. I mean, it, absolutely. Let, let's, I, I want to switch here. Let's, let's dive in your mind a little bit. This is something I'm going to kind of, we've been asking some athletes. Um, it's come about with some few, but Cody Webster, who we had on, you guys are very similar with your kind of, you guys have a very, just a very keen killer mindset to your, to your athleticism. You know, he talks about um, at the moments when he's down there, you know, bulls doing what they're doing, everything slows down for him to the point where he can see dirt particles just moving slowly. Right. And just, he can see every bit of the moment. Do you have that? Have you, is that something that's come with you where you're, when you're out there riding? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it, eight seconds can go quick, but from what I'm starting to understand, guys like you can see everything in slow motion. Does that happen with you? 
I'll use last weekend for an example. So we were at the Three Hills Buck out. It was actually a sanctioned rodeo this last weekend. And what that is, is like they're bucking their colts. So these are, these are animals that have never had a rider on them before. So uh, you, you, you know, you treat them, you know, with a velvet glove, you know, you're real easy with them. You make this their first experience with a rider is as nice as you can. Like this isn't a bad thing you're about to grow up doing. This is actually better than being a saddle horse. Probably you're going to have to do less work, <laughs> you know, like, so you, you're real gentle with them and, you know, like, but from the, when the time of gate latch, like, um, you can feel, you know, like if you, if you understand bareback riding and you understand the things that you need to do, you can feel the animal through your feet and what they're capable of doing and what you, what you can probably get out. I always say bareback riding is there's three phases to bareback riding. There's, there's the mark out. There's, there's, the one and two second, you know, like for the first two jumps, they always tell you to hold your feet. And they tell you this because it's a feeling out process. Number one, you got to get your mark out. And number two, the second time they hit the ground, you can feel what them horses got in them. Cause like it's right on the blocks. You can feel their energy. You can feel their, you know, if they're going to be able to get going, if they're going to kind of be weak hearted, you're going to feel if they're a hopper, a bucker, an eliminator in the first two jumps. So that tells you in your mind, you have there's basically to be a world champion you have to master five different kinds of animals you know those are the five different groups of animals that are at the nfr there's the hoppers the souped up hoppers the buckers the eliminators and the tv pen and there's a different spur ride you put on them but when you master it it all looks the same to the judges you know it all looks flashy it all looks controlled but it's five different styles that you have to and you're going to figure out in the first two jumps what horse you have underneath you and phase two, which is the three through the five second mark, you're building the horse up. You're making the horse do what you want him to do. You're using your feet and what they're giving you to tell you how to bring your feet to your rigging, how to, how hard to set your feet at the bottom to either, either set your feet hard to set the brakes on them, to shorten them up, or to set your feet lightly so you don't, you know, um, they call it, you know, chilling a horse where you hit them too hard with your spurs and they just, they quit. Like they just, it's over. It's like a knockout punch in a fight and they'll just kind of run off after that. So in that three to five, you're figuring out what, how hard to set your feet and how, how much lift you need to give the animal from uh, six, basically from at the end of the second phase, five to eight you show it out for the judges because you got three seconds left they're either going to play or they're not at the end and you need to show dominance in the ride so then you start showing off your your flashy style at the end of the ride and let the judges watch you know the last three seconds of pure dominance from your riding ability and you can feel all these things in that eight seconds so like last week i had this colt and from the second jump i knew this horse was a little bit smaller she didn't have a whole lot of kick and she didn't have a whole lot of power so the second phase of my ride i just brought my feet to my rigging i didn't grab a hold of her too hard because i didn't want her to kind of like not feel good about the spur stroke and i didn't set my feet very hard because you know she's small she's probably going to quit so i adjusted my spur stroke 
every time to make sure that that animal felt comfortable with what I was doing and performed to the best of their ability all the way through it. And yeah, it, it slows down so quickly that you can make those adjustments in milliseconds. You know, this is still only eight seconds, but there is so many moving parts and it, it's understanding what feeling you're getting. That's just kind of like, that's what I've just trained my mind to, to, to do now, you know, like, like Webster can see the particles. Like I can see, I, I, I go off more feel like I can feel, I can see the animal. I can see, when I look, I look right down my rig and handle at that horse's head. You know, like I sit square on the back of a bucking horse. And if I, things are going haywire. If you ever see me off kilter, like things are going way haywire. And like, so, you know, that's me. Like I sit square down and I look and I can, but for most of it, things are going so fast and like you're, you're still experiencing G-force. So your head is naturally like getting taken away from your body and you're trying your best to keep your chin on your chest. So like, but it's fast, you know, it's still fast, but like it all, it all comes down to the feeling, you know, like what feeling are you getting through your feet and how do you adjust that from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head? We'll stop right there and we'll be back with Tim O'Connell. One under 20 of the best cowboys and barrel racers rode into Las Vegas last December and left $10 million richer. The chase for 2020 has already begun, and all champions are hungry for gold. Be sure to follow your favorite cowboys, barrel racers, and local rodeos all season long. It all leads to one place, the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. Learn more at NFRExperience.com. This is the NFR. This is Vegas. Hi, I'm eight-time world champion bull rider Donnie Gay, and you're listening to NFR Extra. We are here with three-time world champion Tim O'Connell. Tim's many fans will notice a reoccurring theme and hashtag in his social media posts. He often uses the word blessed and the hashtag faith first. Those aren't just slogans for Tim. They are the blueprint for how he views the world. What's your, what's your favorite bucking horse of all time? Um, now... And like, there's got to be at some point in your career right now that you got a favorite that you've ridden or challenged or as hard as hell to ride. Is there one that sticks out in your mind? Man, there's there's two of them, and you know, for forever it was just Virgil for me. You know, Virgil's big and he's strong and he bucks hard and he, you know, he's a freak athlete. You show me any human in the world that can jump as high as that horse at 1800 pounds and kick over his head and be stronger at the eight second mark than he is at the two second mark. You know, he keeps bringing it, you know, and I love that. I love watching athletic animals do that in a natural ability. You know, like he's, he's a cool animal. And then, then I ran into Stevie Nicks this year and <laughs> I've always heard about this horse. And then the first time I finally got on her, I tied the world record on her. That thing is 1,300 pounds of dynamite. I mean, that horse tries so hard for eight seconds and will give you absolutely everything and more that you could ask for in a bucking horse. And that is an, I mean, she's just an amazing animal for what she can do being that small, you know, like that she can, she's 500 pounds smaller and is on the same playing field as Virgil. You know, like them two are just, it's hard to, it's hard to match. I mean, between the two of them, I've been on the two of them five times combined. And the lowest I've been is 89 points. I've been 
89 on Virgil this year. And then before that, I've been 91 twice. And I've been on uh, Stevie twice this year. And I've been 94 and 90 and a half. Who owns those horses, Tim? You who know, who like, are they attached to? Uh, RC5 owns Virgil. And uh, North Cotton Moxa owns Stevie Nicks. So both of them are out of Canada. Nice. <laughs> nice. Canada. Yeah. Where did I mean, you, where was that? What rodeo were yeah. you at when you, uh, was it Stevie Nicks that you got that record? Uh, San Angelo, since nice. shootout. And then I had her again at the American in the final four. Wow. That's amazing. Now, now here's you know, the question. Is it different though every time? I mean, is it like, are the tendencies still similar? Because you rode that, and that's a pretty quick turnaround. So, I mean, was there a little difference that you saw in Stevie Nicks from the first time to the second time? She, it's a completely different trip. You know, like, she uh, she turned back with me at the American. Before at, at San Angelo, she turned right and swooped back and forth and then, like, kind of stalled out. Like, and at the American, she turned back hard with me to the right. Like, completely different trip. You know, like, she is one that doesn't have a set pattern. You know, Virgil is going to come out and scoot and he's going to go left. You know, like, that's just what he does. You can't bet on anything with Stevie, truthfully. <laughs> like, but all you can, all you're going to know with Stevie is that she is going to try with all of her might to get you on the ground. And it, but it's such an explosion that happens underneath you. Like, Virgil is a big, strong bucking horse. Like, if you make a mistake, he's more than likely going to rip you down. And Stevie is going to do everything to get you on the ground and make mistakes. But, you know, with a, with a top, she's, I would say she's so hard to make a perfect ride on. I would say like Virgil, if you understand how to ride a real bucker, like you can put a really good ride on him. That's why fields won the American was 93 points. And so many guys are 90 on him. Like, you know, Clayton was 93 on him at the, at, uh, the NFR and I had tied the arena record before Clayton beat it on that horse with a 91 and a half at the NFR. If you understand how to ride a, a bucking horse and you know, Tilden's been 92 on him at the NFR too. You know, like if you, when the best guys get on that horse and the best guys understand how to ride a bucker, like they're just going to match up and it's just going to be a strong fist fight with Stevie. You're not sure what you're going to get, <laughs> you know, like, it's just kind of like reaching in the box and like, she's going to, she's going to sling her head and she's going to go back and forth and she could turn back, you know, like she is so hard to track and make a perfect ride on that. I think that's what makes her so special. Like if she was 1800 pounds and did that, I don't know if she could ride her. Mm, like I do, I do, I take that back. We would get a road, but she would be so hard to make a good ride on. She would be, such an eliminator that it'd be it'd be nervous to tie off to her. Man. You know, hey Tim, you brought up NFR. I got a question. What comes to mind when you hear Las Vegas? Man, it's it's it. It's, it's dreams come true. When when you hear Vegas near NFR, like you know, you've you've done it. You've made it like you've made it to the show. You know, like it's I don't I never experienced the NFR anywhere else besides Vegas. And I can't imagine it being anywhere else. Like the NFR was made for Vegas and Vegas loves the NFR. I feel like, you know, when we come there and like they say Vegas is a cowboy town, like Vegas opens us up with open arms and we love it. We love every bit of it. You know, like it's, 
truly a match made in heaven, Vegas and the NFR. And the Thomas and Mac with the yellow buck and shoots, it's just, it's, I mean, it's what rodeo, it's what everybody that puts on a pair of boots and calls himself a rodeo athlete dreams of doing is stepping in the Thomas and Mac onto those yellow buck and shoots. I mean, it's, it's every kid's dream. Yeah, no doubt about it. As we've heard, I mean, in our interviews, I, so here's a question for you. How was it that first night? And it's cool because I think about you guys. You you guys come right out of the gates first. 2014, how was that that first night, first ride at the Thomas Mack Center? How was that? I've never experienced so much electricity going through my body at one point in time. I, think, I really thank the Cowboy Channel, truthfully, for uh, replaying the 2014 NFR because I don't even remember what that ride was like. <laughs> like, I have no recollection. Like I've tried to scan my memory of what that ride looked like in my head. And I can only get about like a second and a half of it. I was so energized and so pumped up and so excited and had these floods of emotions coming through my body that I can't even barely remember the ride. <laughs> you know, I just felt this overwhelming sense of accomplishment and excitement and electricity. And I got to do it for 10 days with the best guys in the world. You know, it's, you will, I say this, you'll never forget your first night at the NFR, but that's a lie. <laughs> you can, you can very easily forget your ride or your run at the NFR, but you won't, you won't ever forget, forget the experience of living your dream come true. Yeah. Well, and for you, man, I mean, it didn't take long. I mean, within a few years, you're a champion. And not only that, you rattle off three in a row. Could, what can you kind of walk it? Because this is this is the fun part when we get to talk about multiple champions. We've talked to a lot of folks that have won one championship. Can you give us and your your good friend Sage? We asked this question, man, and he he had an answer quick. You know, he's rattled off quite a few, which I love that you guys are good buddies, man. Um, what what is the difference between the three for you? Can you break them down a little bit? Yeah, I mean the first one, you know, like. Mine was weird for me. I truth like, okay, so the first one for me, it's this dream come true, right? Like you did it. You're the, you're at the pinnacle of your sport. You got the gold strap. Like that's yours. You're the world champion. The problem with my first one is the ERA took place mm. at the same time. And then guys that I was competing against, you know, Casey Tilden, Stephen Dent, uh, Ryan Gray, they left but they were still competing. And to me, like no one has actually come up and said this to me, but like, it's in the back of my mind. Like I didn't have an opportunity to beat those guys. Hmm. Like I'm all about competition. And like, I, I, I didn't want any doubt in my mind that I was the very best. Cause I believe I'm the very best. Right. Like I had the gold strap to prove it but there was something missing and it was those guys were, were not there to, you know, to compete against and to beat them guys. You know, like I didn't get to have Peebles there to defend his world title that he just beat Casey's streak of four. And I didn't have Casey there to try to win his fifth. You know, like these were all guys that were still active and, you know, all them other guys that have been players for years. So the first one was like, I won it, but I still had more to prove. And the second one, that one solidified it. You know, like, you're a world champion, and you mean business. Like, that wasn't a fluke because all them guys, the ERA had gone away. 
And, you know, they uh, they had an opportunity to make the NFR, and some did and some didn't. And, you know, like, that was nothing off me. And I had a dominant year that year. I'd won the world by $100,000. Like, I put my stamp that, you know, the first one wasn't a fluke. Like, the second one, like, I'm here to play, and this is what I can do. The third one was the hardest one to win. And that's why I wear that buckle. It took to the last second of the 10th round to solidify a world championship. I was in a dog fight with Caleb Bennett all year. And then at the finals, you know, the door opened. I wasn't having a very good finals. I was riding good, but I wasn't placing. And I say that I only placed four times and won the average, you know, like, but I wasn't placing and the door was opening up for guys like Tilden and a guy like Steven Dent. And then me and Caleb were sitting there trading the number one spot in the world off like three or four times at the finals. And it finally took to the very bitter end to win it. And then I get my shoulder torn off my body, <laughs> you know, and that was it. You know, like that was, that was the hardest, buckle championship fight that I've ever been in, you know, like that was a straight up war. And I, I, you know, go back to the beginning of our conversation, you know, with wrestling, it's, it's you or me. And this is how it's going to be. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to lay it out there and I'll sacrifice my body to win. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's what it was. And I, they, they, you know, they backed me into a corner and I came out swinging. And that's what the third one meant for me. Like, I can fight my way out of a corner and come out on top. You know, and then, yeah. Go ahead. I just, I, I want to add to that because we talked about that. You know, Michael and I are not, we're not cowboys, but we pay attention to this thing like any other sport that we watch. And that was something that we all thought about because we saw you coming, right? Like, I just, there was, I think there was a couple of, couple of injuries and things like that happened to you when Casey was there, when people's was there that you were like, man, that guy, Tim, you better watch out for that dude. And to see it come full circle. I love it because I just think of the competition and honestly, I'll rewind Tim. I, I remember when it came down with Casey and people's, it came down to that last night. Right. And Casey drew if, if just a different horse, if right? Casey would have placed. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it, it came down to. Steven had to win the round in case he could not catch a check. You know, and we're talking about Casey Fields here. Like, for to say for him, like, you know, win the round, maybe. But for him not to catch a check in a situation where he has to catch a check, I mean, the stars aligned for people. I mean, like, had the perfect horse, made the perfect ride, won the round. We actually split the round. Me and him split that round. Yep. Or me, him, and Tanner Ross split that round. So he won just enough from three of us winning the go around and you know, things fell haywire. I watched that back like three weeks ago when they replayed it, you know, like Casey just didn't draw the horse didn't have his day and Casey had to override the horse to try to make something happen. And it just didn't like the stars lined up that night. It was one of them situations that people did something amazing on a 10 day stretch. And I mean, knocked the King off his throne pretty much. Tim, every bit I hear you talking, man, it was like, I liked hearing that, that you brought up ERA. You brought up that it bothered the hell out of you, that they weren't there, right? And it's cool that you got to get that checklist. Because as I've understood, that's huge for guys like you. 
And I think it's like one of those things that now going forward, it just makes the sport that much better that, that it's all aligned like this, right? We got to get past this COVID stuff, but man, it just, it really makes it so much deeper. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what my mentality has always worked on. Like you don't want, and it doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be in a baking championship, <laughs> but you don't want to leave anybody. You don't want to leave any doubt in anyone's mind that you were the best in the world that year. Like, you don't want to let anybody be able to remotely question that you're the best when you want it. You know, that's, that's what it meant to me. You know, like it wasn't like someone, I don't want anybody to have, well, well, what if this happened? What did? And I like, I won that scenario too. You know, like that's the, uh, the dom. you know, like the MJ thing, like he wanted to be so dominant, you know, like, he didn't want to leave any doubt in anyone's mind that when you're playing Michael Jordan, game's over. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll take, just give me, like, the pickup games. Like, I'll take all the crappy guys. Just, and you guys, you guys pick your whole team, and I'll just take the leftover, and I'm going to demolish you guys. Like, you know, like, that, he had that insane killer mindset. And, like, I, I do see similarities with me and him with how, like, I approach the guys that I travel with, like I'm an open book. You know, you can ask me whatever you want, why we're doing this, how we're doing this, why we're entering. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell you the mindset that we're going to have going in to these weeks and these rodeo runs, because I want you right there with me at the top. Like, you know, the guys that I travel with, I consider like my brothers. So like, not only do I want to win, I want you guys to win too. I want this to be the, known as the most dominant rig in pro rodeo mm. you know and that's what like michael wanted for his team like he wanted everybody all in and that's what you know like my rig going up and down the road like that's our motto like we're all in like if you're in this rig like you're all in like this is what we're going to live for every day man it's awesome last question tim where does this all go how long do you keep doing this I'm going to, I've told my wife this and there's two scenarios that are going to happen the night. And the scenario that I want to happen is the night I win my sixth world title. See ya. Nice. That'll be it. I don't want to stay past, uh, my prime to the point where, and like, you know, me and a lot of my friends, my competitors, you know, we've talked about this, like the day, you don't get out of bed and feel like you can go to a rodeo and go win is the day you're going to hang it up. I'm going to have that in me forever. That's not, that's a feeling that's never going to go away from me with anything that I do, whether, you know, in this career to my next career, you know, like, you know, you can't do this forever. And, uh, you know, rodeo is in a spot that it's starting to be where guys can kind of retire from it. But for the most part, you're going to have to do something life after rodeo but if you invest right and you make your living right you can do what you want to do life after rodeo and whatever i want to do life after rodeo i want to be the best at that too so that competitiveness is never going to go away from me but you know you have to have your your village you know the people that you trust with you know your secrets and you know, like my coach, my, my college coach is one of them guys that I trust. Like he knows when we're practicing, when I'm at my very best, he understands my style 
more than anybody else in the world. And he can pinpoint and break me down like no one else can. He's the only person I trust to do this. And my wife, my wife also knows me at my very best and me at my very worst. And if, you know, if it's not in God's plan, which I hope it is for me to win six world titles, I want them to be able to step in and be like, Hey, I know you want to do this, but it's time, Mm. you know, don't, don't stay longer and let your body deteriorate getting beat up by bucking horses when it, you know, like this beats our bodies up so bad, you know, like it's like getting in a car wreck every time. And, uh, (laughs) eventually you can't get in any more car wrecks before you can't, you know, step away any longer. So unfortunately you got to have those people that you trust to say like, Hey, it's time, you know, and, you know, me and my wife have had that conversation and me and my coach have had that conversation that when it's time, I need you to have that hard conversation with me. But my plan for sure right now, I'm going to win six world titles and then I'm going to step away from the game. I'm going to break the world record for most world titles one and I'm going to move on with my life. Man. Well, Tim, Dan, this has been awesome. I, uh, well, first of all, I hope that all works out and you've been blessed, man. And this has been a fantastic interview. This is Love getting to know Tim O'Connell. This has been great. Um, don't want to hold you <laughs> well, up. Man. No, I appreciate it. It's been yeah. fun. Yeah, well, thank you. I uh, can't wait to put it out there, man. Fans are going to listen to this. This is some deep stuff. Uh, good luck awesome. uh, for the rest of this crazy thank COVID you. season. And uh, hope to be seeing you in December, man, with all that works well for everything. Sounds good. All right. Thank okay. you. Take care. You too, man. Bye. We want to thank three-time world champ Tim O'Connell for joining NFR Extra today. And stay tuned for episode 53 with Karen Rosser and four-time Road to the Horse world champion Chris Cox on NFR Extra. Want to experience more of the NFR? Then visit NFRExperience.com. And we invite you to subscribe to NFR Extra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening right now. If you like what you've been hearing on NFR Extra, we would love it if you gave us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. NFR Extra. All dirt. All rodeo. All year. Gotta make it out the back Where the big boys roam With the rovers and the racers And the bulls and the browns And the ladies in the skin-tight wranglers And the cowboy hats